This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. We've paused a fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending megabucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them. Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chas Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. On this episode of Inside Supercars, we sit down with two engine builders and the engine referee. And we talk about building the brand new supercar engines, throttle bodies, and more. We actually had 87, um, and we found that, yeah, we had in testing the, the way the, the shape of the um, of the GM um, throttle body, you just couldn't get the drivability decent. So, you know, with Craig and that, we, we looked at it and, and that, the 80 mils, the smallest one we could get that would fit that manifold, um, a lot different shape inside, and it seemed to have helped that area where, you know, you, that light throttle, the transition was, a, um, I guess, a bit smoother. I mean, people talk in the, the tenth of a, sec- a tenth of a second is a massive change. They're very, very small. So whilst it's a parity change, it's it's quite a small change. We're unsure what we'll see out of it. It'll definitely make the drivability better, but how do you quantify that into a result? I guess we'll know tonight. Designing and producing the components and, and choosing a suitable throttle body to, to run on the engines. It's uh, recalibrating, ECUs, re- all, all, of, all of that is a massive body of work. So you're talking about probably a couple of weeks minimum of work just goes into that one small change. It's Ken McNamara, Bobby Irwin and Craig Haystead talking supercar engines on Inside Supercars. And it starts now. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel, and we're confronted with the three men who are responsible for the engine program as running in Gen 3 era. They are from left to right, of course, Craig Hasted, who is Craig R Engines, Ken McNamara, who is KRE, and Bobby Irvine from Herod Performance Engines. Gentlemen, talking with Adrian Burgess, we wanted to sort of get to how we got to where we are now, as in, you know, there is a parity adjustment this weekend for the Ford Mustang engine, but there were various phases we went through to get where we are now. Now, the great thing is that without exception, uh, the team owners all rejoicing about the, the lower cost of this program. So we had two different size engines, two different sizes, two different configurations. Like to know about how you go about paratizing them. It's a word that I haven't really used much in my life, but paratizing was what the word was, the buzzword. Craig, can you start on the program? Oh, look, first, firstly, we uh, supercars come out with the Gen 3 format, and probably the biggest challenge was the engine. So we had to look at what is available. When you start looking for engines for a race car, you just don't invent them. You, and the, both the Ford and GM had their own 
DNA they wanted to use, so they wanted to pick a select engines. Then it was difficult for us because we had to try and help manage them. We worked collectively, um, and it was actually a very good relationship between supercars, both KRE and HPE. But we had to work with what engines are available and work out it's very basic stuff, right, from capacity. I mean, as you said before, they're both different engine architecture. One's a four-valve quad cam, one's a single camshaft pushrod engine. Massively different in architecture. But one of our first biggest challenges was the engine capacity. And we worked closely with both of them. And the net result is where the Fords are 5.4 and the GMs are 5.7. But it was a very interesting um, set of circumstances how we got there, but very, very productive and, and worked very, very well. Okay. Um, Ken, obviously because of the GM engines that are larger, the 5.7, um, you'd already been building Chevy engines in various guises for both supercars and sprint cars for a long time. You knew them back to front and inside out. So the engine basically was much changed from where you'd been working? Not really. A, a lot of it's sort of half road car, half you know, race engine stuff, but the... Um yeah, we started a 6.2 litre and then went back down to a 5.7. Um, so you know, we had to get obviously custom crankshafts made and things like that. But instead of being a crankshaft at seven thousand dollars, it's it's four. So the differences are um, quite substantial in cost, but also the the quality of the parts um, to fit into that you know cost frame that supercars wanted to keep the engines at the right price. The biggest saving is not is the heads, isn't it? Because you're getting a machine head from GM and then not having to do an enormous amount of work on them. Yeah, correct, yeah. The um, cylinder heads are just a factory LS9 head off a Corvette, which is basically the same head as a LS3 that's in a Commodore, just a different roto casting and a couple of little gussets they have for the supercharged engines, but same port. But yeah, they're like you know, a couple of grand where the old heads were, were 20,000 because they were a custom bespoke casting that had to be all fully CNC machined. And so yeah, things like that, like I said, the crankshafts, um, Valtrain, similar money. Pistons are cheaper, conrods are cheaper. So you add all those things up, you know, you're you're at that forty to fifty thousand dollars saving. Um, and Bobby, um, you'd been working in the engine department at Dick Johnson's for many years. Um, obviously, things change dramatically because it's a very different engine to what you've got now. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, probably the hardest thing was to switch our mentality from the previous generation engine, where we were the best quality parts fully custom everything to trying to switch to more of a OEM representative engine for the current market and obviously meet the budget constraints that, that the teams wanted and and not only that make the engine cheaper and to last longer and more reliable with cheaper components that was probably the most challenging part for us. Of course Craig um, one of the big things was that cheaper cost is, is servicing um, which is dramatically different to what the previous one was. Yeah, correct. I mean, um, up until the last few years, it was unlimited how many engines people could do. And then there were, we're going back probably four or five years, teams were doing engines every 1,500 kilometres. Then uh, Supercars brought in a rule that we, we put a min minimum 4,000 kilometre rule in, so every engine had to do a minimum of 4,000 kilometres. This year with Gen 3, we're targeting 8,000 kilometres, right? So, 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 so far this year, we've done, most, most engines have done 5,000 kilometres so far. We've seen zero power degradation. I mean, it's a real success story where these engines are going this year. So to build these engines for the supercars, what was the biggest challenge that both the Chevy and the Ford engine face? First, Ken. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge, like Bobby said, was the cost. You know, we're so used to building something um, just with the best parts and what it costs, what it costs. But to build something to, yeah, to do nearly double the mileage, 
Um, the bigger capacity helped because the small engines had to be pushed quite hard to make that power number. Um, but yeah, there, there was, it was tricky to build an engine to be reliable and not, not have all those high-end premium parts. Was there any engineering design issues that you had to get to be able to either meet the distance requirement or the power? Not really. The yeah, we, we went with a, a race type block just for strength there, but still the factory heads and manifold and stuff. But no, I think it was just just trying to find what was there and what we could use, and it, no, it all seemed to run fairly smoothly. I think. Bobby, what about at the Ford side? Uh, so thinking back now, I got to cast back right to the start, but uh, I think uh, maybe. The hardest thing was accruing all the parts and having all of the parts in stock in time to not only build the engines but have the engines built, validated um, and then supplied to the teams on time. So um, basically there's roughly a pool of 30 engines that we had to sort of have ready for the teams by the start of this year. So um, And then still working on getting the final package and, and, and the final engine what it what it is installed in the cars today it was all started all through covid so what were the supply chains like uh, for you guys uh, we were obviously quite good on our side with um, ford performance in america so they they uh, the majority of our parts come come direct out of ford so that was quite good for us but still uh, comes with its challenges for uh, basically shipping the parts out and all of the delays there and getting everything from America to Australian soil. Ken, do you have much in the way of supply train issues? Yeah, ours is probably a lot more difficult. The blocks are custom made from GM, so they only make them in batches, you know, say 20 at a time. So we had to get them through GM here and that, that worked out well. But um, a lot of the parts, ours all from, you know, say multiple suppliers. So yeah, we had the air freighting over, which all turned up in around September, October, November. Um, so yeah, quite difficult um, when you're dealing with so many different um, manufacturers. And Craig, how was the hurdle of going to all the team owners and, and saying, you're going to have this one off this, you know, you're going to have number one, you're going to have number two, you're going to have number three, and getting their mindset into they're not buying their own engine? Yeah, that was interesting. It's a definitely a culture change for them. Um, the first thing is that, that the team owners wanted to guarantee that they were getting a random engine. So Supercars put a quite a, a randomised engine. They're actually electronically randomised. So they, both Ken and Bobby would do a, a batch of engines and then Supercars randomly allocate them. So it was important for the team to ensure that there, were, there was, and, and it's important for us to ensure that there's no way that a, either engine supplier can do a special engine for a particular team. So they're always random, always random allocated. We die every single engine as, after they leave the team. So... Once we gave them a, a robust set of um, design parameters, they were, quite, they were quite happy with that. What have you taken from this program, Bobby, that you can go through into regular business or even into other aspects of your performance engine programs? Um, I really think uh, probably the biggest thing that we've learned in this transition from supplying one team to supplying multiple teams is to make sure that the, you know, the one percenters are are covered and covered well to make sure that we've got you know every time you have to make a change or or make a say a, a spec change then you've got to do that times 30 engines so making sure that the the base design of every single item is is up to standard from day one. Ken? 
Uh, we're a bit used to because we've sort of, um, I suppose, been doing 10 cars for the last, you know, 10 years, I guess. And with our business, you know, we probably build over, just over 100 engines a year normally. So it was just really fitting it in um, and, yeah, keeping the stock on hand and being trying to project, for, you know, for, you know, cash flow wise and time wise with the custom, um, suppliers to make sure we had parts when we need them, um, but not also have you know, too much stock. Parity's been a hot topic for years around supercars, V8 supercars, V8s before that even. Um, it obviously has been an even hotter topic this year because of, you know, we've got two identical cars, chassis, so to speak. But, and it's obviously moved from being a car situation to an engine, and now it's back again with the engine. This weekend we're seeing the second version of the throttle body on the Mustang engine, is that correct? Yes, they originally started with an 87mm, we're now back to an 80mm for this weekend. What, that, it, what does that do? I mean, the, the drivability was the thing that the Ford drivers were complaining about. Um, they weren't able to get a smooth power delivery and all those sort of things. The 80 mil was what was on the Chevy from the start, and that was designed from the start, was it? No, we actually had 87, um, and we found that, yeah, we had in testing the, the, the way the, the shape of the... Um, of the GM um, throttle body, you just couldn't get the drivability decent. So, yeah, working with Craig and that, we, we looked at it, and, and that, the 80 mils, the smallest one we could get that would fit that manifold, um, a lot different shape inside, and it seemed to have helped that area where, yeah, you, that light throttle, the transition was, a, um, I guess, a bit smoother. And in, you've done back some back to back testing, have you, at, at the track? Yes, we've done a lot of engine nano testing. Both um, Bobby has done his own testing and Supercars have done our own testing. And we've also done a fair bit of on-track testing as well, swapping from 87 to 80. But back to your original comment about parity, I mean, it's interesting to note the differences we're talking are so small here. I mean, if, if, if when people talk about engine power, with, with some people think we're talking hundreds of horsepower. I mean, we're so fine here in the drivability, it's nearly immeasurable. I mean, even this weekend, we're not sure what we're going to get here because it's such a small change. But parity is... I mean, people talking the, the tenth of a, se- a tenth of a second is a massive change. They're very, very small. So whilst it's a parity change, it's, it's quite a small change. We're unsure what we'll see out of it. It'll definitely make the drivability better, but how do you quantify that into a result? I guess we'll know tonight. Bobby, how much work was a small change like the throttle body change? Uh, it was, yeah, quite an extensive amount of work. So obviously it's not only designing and producing the components and and choosing a suitable throttle body to to run on the engines it's uh recalibrating ecus re all all of all of that is a massive body of work so you're talking about probably a couple of weeks minimum of work just goes into that one small change one of the things of course was that there wasn't a a question about parity of across the two brands uh, in qualifying because as we know that you know this year's seen closer gaps you know over the whole field 25 cars 24 cars than we've ever seen you know the point sixes was a regular thing over 25 cars but the thing was it was a tire life and getting a tire to live over that race distance whether it was at Townsville or, or Darwin or wherever that's the thing that it, it may be immeasurable um, because you you know it's the the statistic to, to do it is very difficult to measure. But obviously that's the key thing, isn't it? 
Correct, correct. I mean, going back on a mechanical side of things, the, the, going to the style of engine with a large throttle body, the power delivery is not as good as we had previously. I mean, we've actually done a heap of testing at different throttle positions, so we, we've got a good understanding of where we've come from to where we are now. But you are right. When the tyre's old, that's when the driver... The driver's driving on his right foot and he's trying to modulate how much power goes to the rear tyre. The 80mm throttle body definitely is, seems to be an improvement on that. Now, engine builders have their own dynos and they have a very wicked sense of humour. Bobby, how often did you ring up Kenny Mack and give him a number that would just uh, give him a bit of a cold chill down the spine? No, I mean, we, I think uh, collaboratively as a group we've tried to produce um, engines that everybody can race with and have, have a fair chance. So I don't think really there was any kind of mystique or any hiding of any of the power numbers through the whole process it was all about trying to provide a fair situation for all the teams too much stress and too short a time to have a bit of fun like that <laughs> yeah yeah there's no time for that but no in the early days like we worked out and we we ran with the same oil pumps and alternators and quite a few parts that we thought we tried to work together with both cars and then we work with craig and go we send him an engine oh this hasn't got enough or that's too far we take it back and talk with Bobby, so it was never, it was a weird deal, you're always trying to build an engine to make power, now you build one that's got four horsepower too much and you're upset because you've got to go back and change something on it, so it's actually a, it's a very weird deal, I think it was actually harder to build an engine to that number at a cost than just building something and say, well geez, I I'm, I'm need to find more power, just go and do it, where it's, it was definitely like Bobby said earlier, it was, it was quite interesting and a different mindset to be able to switch to that. It's been terrific talking to you three. Um, it, it sparked me, and this year has particularly in press conferences, listening to team owners, it reminded me of China. I'm sure you probably were all there in China, in Shanghai, um, that suddenly the paddock actually felt a lot smaller because there was a lot more, you know, people agreeing with each other and people working together. And that's what I've heard this year around, that, that people realising that, yes, we want to make a better show, and we're only part of that show. It's, it's much bigger. But thank you very much for joining us, Bobby Irvin, Ken McNamara and Craig Hayshed. Been terrific to have you on Inside Supercars, and I'm sure we'll talk again. No problem. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. You love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. We've paused a fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.